All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. Well, I got to get you guys back by dinner. This might be a long one. See, I told you it was going to be the, that sugar out there. I didn't see anybody jump in the pews, but I, I think there was a little extra step in that worship. So um, Derek was supposed to preach today, but he got sick on his vacation. Him and his family got sick, so he is not here today, so I'll be stepping in for him. Uh, keep him in your prayers so he feels better. He said it was uh, some flu-like symptoms. Um, so today I was praying on what to speak on, and looks like we'll be getting back to Exodus. Um, did you guys come in today? Expecting the Holy Spirit to produce spiritual growth in your life. I believe through God's word, we can achieve that. I may say some things that are exciting or helpful, but the most important thing to take out of any sermon that I do is God's word. And I'm going to continue right back where we left off in Exodus, I guess, uh, two, three, two weeks ago. And I guess at this rate, it'll probably take us about 40 years to get through that book. And the last time I spoke, we talked about how God led the Israelites out of Egypt. God used the Red Sea to separate Egypt from God's people. And I spoke on how that was a symbol of what God does through baptism. We also talked about how the Israelites were led by the cloud and how that's similar to how we are led by the Spirit but before we go any further, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we're allowed to gather here before you. That you say we're two or more gather, you're with us. And we believe that. So I pray right now as I speak that your Holy Spirit works in my heart and in their hearts. That you would stir up what we need to learn from you. That you would stir up that right attitude as we leave this place and go through our lives. And that we would represent the name of Jesus in a way that brings you honor. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So the Israelites, again, run into some problems. And if you think the Christian life, you won't run into problems, man, you're in a rude awakening. So let's read what happens next. And that's found in Exodus 16, 1 through 3. And when you find it, please stand for the reading of God's word. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is in between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve the entire assembly to death. You may be seated. So we see here the need for food. The Israelites go to Moses and Aaron with their complaint because at that time, Moses and Aaron were the mediator between God and man. Now, as we know, in the New Testament, Jesus is the mediator between God and man. So let's see what God does about this need. We find this in Exodus 16, 10 through 12. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. 
The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning they will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So God responded by meeting their needs. Something similar happens again. We find this in Exodus 17. So next chapter over, 1 through 6. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us, our children, and our livestock die of thirst? Yeah, they brought the livestock into it. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of these people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And once again, God provided for their needs. You know, even though it seems like God is far away, God still hears his children. He knows what you want or need even before you ask it. In Matthew 6, 25 through 34, it explains this. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? Can you or any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, if you don't know who Solomon is, he's a rich guy who dressed really nice, and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. He didn't dress like me. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and God tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you, little of faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly fathers know, your heavenly fathers, father, I don't know why I keep kind of asked, like, your heavenly father knows what you need, but seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So one question we should ask, did God put a condition on meeting our needs in this, on these verses? Well, yes, he said, seek the kingdom of God first. We seek the one king of kings 
the king over the physical and the spiritual world. There is nothing that King Jesus can't provide. He can provide a way for our car to be fixed. He can provide a way for us to make our house payment. He can, pray, pay, he can provide a way to pay our bills, our medical bills. He can provide a way to heal us when we're sick. We seek his kingdom and his righteousness so we can be right in a right standing with Jesus, the one who provides for us. You may be asking, if God is such a good provider, why didn't he have food or water in the first place? Well, in the text, honestly, it really doesn't say. Could have been because God was testing them. Could have been discipline. It could have even been grace, like when Paul said there was a thorn in his flesh. And he explained that that thorn was a grace from God that empowered him. Or maybe it was also like James says, you don't have because you don't ask. So we can learn from the Israelites. We should pray to God if we need something because God does care. Now, there is a difference between grumbling and praying. Grumbling and murmuring can be toxic. It's common to hear people use this verse, boldly go to the throne, and use this verse to say, hey, you can just go to Jesus and let him have it. That is not the meaning at all of what boldly going to the throne to receive mercy and grace is. Remember, just because you're going through something doesn't mean you can talk to God however you want. Even worse, you shouldn't complain about God to other people. So do you think God was mad about their complaints? Well, let's see how God responded. And this is found in Numbers 11, 18 through 20. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If we only had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it just for one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord. Hear that? You've rejected him when you say you want to go back to Egypt. Who is among you and have wailed before, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Also, it reads in Numbers eleven thirty-two 32 and 33. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quills. No one gathered less than 10 homers, and it has nothing to do with the Simpsons. It's some kind of measurement. <laughs> then they spread them all out around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. So does God still expect us not to grumble in the New Testament? Well, Philippians 2.12 reads, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this warped and crooked generation. 
First, we need to look at the tense of salvation. Um, This isn't a complete salvation like Ephesians 2, where it says, saved by grace, and the saved is past tense. This is the beautiful grace of fear and trembling, which changes our will from a sinful one to a godly one that causes us to complete our salvation. It causes us not to grumble like the Israelites did. And if we have a grumbling heart, we are not those faultless children of God that he speaks about. But the grace of God can cause us to become faultless children in the midst of this warped and crooked generation. And as I read and meditate about what happened to the Israelites, there's this one common heart problem that keeps coming up. They keep referring to how good they had it in Egypt. You see this happen again in Numbers 11, 4. They rabble with them began, the rabble with them began to crave other food and the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost? Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. See, these Israelites weren't content with the bread that came from heaven. They were praising Egypt by saying how good the food was there. Now, I don't, and as I think about it, I don't think the Israelites realize how big of a deal it is. And I don't think, when I read it, I ever realized how big of a deal this is, the bread from heaven. But we know this is a big deal because what it says in Exodus 16, 32 through 34, Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave them to eat in the wilderness when I brought them out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put it, the omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. And he didn't just put that in a scrapbook. He said, as the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets, ta- tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. God providing bread from heaven was a huge deal. He put it with the covenant. And where was the covenant? It was in the Ark of the Covenant. And how important is that? Well, if a person wasn't a priest and they touched the Ark of the Covenant, which touched the tablets where this manna is, they died. Think about that. We really need to be content with what God gives us. Something, sometimes we might not even be aware of how big of a deal that is to God. So I'm going to give you two verses, and I want you to think about those verses and how they're applicable off the top of your head. One is Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He's talking about Christ there. And then Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You know, often when we hear this, we think of Jesus is healing people or calming the winds and the waves. But in Philippians 4, 
Paul isn't talking about something that we normally think of as miraculous. He's talking about being content when he's rich and poor. From the context of the Scripture, it is a miraculous thing to be content. As the rest of the verse reads in Philippians 4, 12, and 13, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. By the way, I'm going to tell you the secret right now. In every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And in Matthew 19.26, he's referring to how a rich man wouldn't be content with giving his riches to receive the riches Christ offers. And it reads in Matthew 19.21 through 26, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich, rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. For most people that have never sowed, that's pretty small. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This brings up a good point. Spiritual poverty is worse than worldly poverty. We have spiritual needs that outweigh physical needs. Jesus quoted a verse in Deuteronomy, and this is found in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. There used to be these snicker commercials that were popular a while back. And they would take celebrities and they would act like the person was either grumpy or loopy because they haven't eaten. I think there's one with like Joe Pesci acting all grumpy. And his friend gives him this snicker bar and he turns back into his normal chill self. Well, when we starve our spirit, it's like that Snickers commercial. It doesn't act right. We need to be content for the manna that God provides and not hunger for the food we ate when we were in Egypt or when we live by the pattern of this world. You know, when I was a kid in the 80s, we went to this Pentecostal church, and one day they had the lights off, and they had all the church members act like to these kids that the end of times apocalypse was here. Um, and they told us because we were Christians, people were hunting us. We don't do that downstairs. Uh, Amy's not doing that right now with the kids. It's just the 80s were a different time. And then they showed us this video of Christians running because people were trying to kill them. And they explained to us how people will eventually take the Bible away to stop Christianity. And now I'm older and scarred. The danger isn't as much that people are going to take the Bible away as it is 
people are going to try to flavor it so you don't even understand its original context. What people are doing nowadays is they have a taste for Egypt. So instead of getting rid of the Bible, they flavor it up to make it more enjoyable for themselves and others to listen to it. It's very popular to flavor the Bible on two subjects. And these are just the two that I was meditating. I'm sure there's many more. Um, But these days, people flavor the subject of love and grace. People define grace as just Jesus dying on the cross. And yet they deny the power of grace that changes our lives because they haven't fully understood it. Or in some cases, they don't want to understand it. But grace produces a fruit when we fully understand it. What kind of fruit? The fruit that it produces is that we act like Jesus. I'm not saying you're exactly like Jesus. You act like Jesus. I just want to make that clear. And if it doesn't produce that, well, then that seed fell from another tree. Paul talks about how people needed to fully understand the grace to produce the fruit. And we see this in Colossians 1.6. And at the end of it, it's saying, what that, that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So if you want to fully understand his grace, go study the Bible and find every part where it talks about grace. Because it's a lot more complex than some people think. And that's why Paul says truly understand it in that verse. And then there's also this teaching on God's love, which is amazing. His love is amazing. It's perfect. But the teaching that you often hear is that God loves everyone, so there's no such thing as eternal punishment or outer darkness. You also hear people say, Like, it doesn't matter what you do. It never affects God's love towards you. But the Word of God says, and we can find this in John 15, starting in 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Now, This doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but it does mean you have to repent if you mess up. That we do have to keep his commands. And if we don't, there is this danger that any time our hearts could stop beating. And when it does, God is going to know who loved him. The Bible teaches us everyone will have to face the Lord, even the ones he loves. And he's going to know those who tried to use his grace and love as a license to sin. But he's also going to know who used his grace and love not to sin. The word of God is food to eat. We need it to survive. We have to be careful because there is no regulation on what a preacher says. There's no FDA of the word of God. We've got to be prepared. People have romanticized the Bible because it sells more books and gets more likes. But I warn you with great sadness that all these false teachings are like people putting fentanyl in the Word of God. 
People are going to church every week and not being changed. People say they are Christians and look just like the world. I know we have people here who reject false teaching, and I know there's people other places that reject it, but it is so rampant. So let's love our neighbors by warning them. Let's love them by inviting them to church. Some are being fed by God, but a majority are starving or eating bread with fentanyl, which could kill them. So let's go to God, our provider, with thanksgiving for the bread he provides. Let us not change the recipe or exchange it for the food of the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you. I thank you for your words. I just pray that you continue to work in our hearts, that you would produce fruit in us, that you would empower us to live holy lives just like you promised that we could. And if we mess up, that we would turn around and come right back to you, that we would never forsake you because you are always waiting for us to turn around. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.